Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. This is the GM Shuffle. But since he's gone down this road, they built an organization based on the premise of asset management. And they'll end up with a team that has zero mental toughness. Everything that they do is relates to team building is nothing I believe in. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. As always, Michael Lombardi. We are typically a football podcast. We're going to talk football, but we have to start with what we saw yesterday afternoon in Boston. Your beloved Philadelphia 76ers lose in game seven in embarrassing fashion. The floor is yours, man. How are we feeling less than 24 hours removed? Well, we feel, uh, I mean, we feel like we thought we would feel. I, I think this whole operation, the Ponzi scheme that started under Sam Hankey's direction, back in 2013 and there's actually people that think it worked and there's actually people that think had Hank Hanky been able to stay at his job everything would have gotten better and I certainly don't dismiss Brian Colangelo's era as the 76er general manager as a disaster but I think it's really important for fans especially football fans Washington football fans to understand what they're getting with Josh Harris what they're getting is is a guy that believes in asset management he believes in culture he doesn't believe in culture he believes in making the players comfortable mm-hmm. and since 13 since this whole thing has started you know now he's owned the team before that but since he's gone down this road, they built an organization based on the premise of asset management, based on we're going to acquire talent, and then we're going to kiss talent's ass to make sure that they do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. And they'll end up with a team that has zero mental toughness. My, my dislike of the team that I root for, the Philadelphia 76ers, is because everything that they do is relates to team building is nothing I believe in. Mm. For example, Femi, their star player, the guy who wanted the MVP trophy more than anything, has never been in shape. Has never been in shape. People say, you know, Lombardi, you're not in shape either. Well, I don't, I don't play basketball. I'm, a, I'm an old man. I don't play basketball. Like, the guy's out of shape. Look at his body fat. What do you think it is? He can't get up and down the court. Is he a great talent? No question. Does he have physical and mental toughness? No. But I don't blame him. I don't. I blame the organization. And unless Josh Harris decides how he wants to run a team, and if he wants to be this, hey, it's all buddy kumbaya, everybody sings along, Washington's never going to get any better. Because if you read the Hanky uh, resignation letter, mm-hmm. and if you follow Maury, who's the current general manager, they don't believe in culture. They believe in asset management. And at some point, at some point, somebody who's going to have enough sense in the room is going to stand there and say, look, all this asset management talk that we're discussing, that's important, but it's just one slice of the pie. And I think what they built is a team that has no toughness. Zero. Zero. And the only tough player that they ever acquired, they traded him away because the one of the softest players on their team didn't want him, Ben Simmons. So... You know, that's just who they are. And I think to me yesterday was reaffirmation of everything that I believed. I believed it in, in Embiid. You know, I've never been in the Embiid fan club. I've never. Mm-hmm. I have never been in there. Not because I don't respect his talent. I do. I just don't respect him as, as, as a competitor. I don't respect him as a guy who's willing to do what it takes to be the greatest player that he can. This nonsense that he's the greatest center in basketball is a complete joke. He hasn't gotten past round two of the playoffs. 
Yeah, I mean, in comparison to his contemporaries in the MVP race, it's it's not even close. I mean, you see Nikola Jokic carrying the Denver Nuggets, 35-point triple-double in the series against Phoenix, and they're now favored to win the Western Conference. And then, I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo, they obviously failed this year getting bounced out in the first round, but he's won a title with Milwaukee and has made other playoff runs with that team there. It's not even close. And I, it's funny because I was looking at my Twitter timeline yesterday as this is going down. I saw your tweets, by the way. You were electric. I tweeted that out yesterday. Like, just go back. If you didn't see it, go to M. Lombardi NFL and read Michael Lombardi's timeline from yesterday. Just the series of tweets as the fourth quarter is going underway. Uh, it is something that you would not want to miss. But while reading the timeline, I saw a lot of people echoing the thoughts that you've had, not just this season, dating back to as long as I've known you, talking about this Sixers team and talking about Joel Embiid. People talk about how he prioritized MVP over winning the title and how this has kind of been just a, a mentally uh, weak kind of organization here. And it's it fe- I felt like I was listening to you, seeing people's timelines, that everyone's kind of catching up and, and figuring out what's actually been going on in Philadelphia. I mean, it's been, I've been saying this since, since he's been there. You know, there's a, a broadcaster here, uh, Danny, somebody, Pomroy or something, that when I called him out of shape, they laughed at me. Like, the guy has never been in shape. The guy has done nothing, nothing to try to become a better player. Nothing. He refuses to get in shape. He's lazy. He doesn't want to work hard. And I don't know what's more obvious is the fact that when he's met with a challenge, he walks away. I mean, he literally is the kid who, if there's a bully in the neighborhood, he's going to walk eight blocks in the other direction if not face the bully. The guy has zero toughness. He, it's all false bravado. It's all media hype. It's all he's a media darling. Now, here's what's going to happen, because he's under criticism. Yeah, for the first he's time. He's finally under criticism. Yeah. For the, well, no, this is the second time. Against Toronto, when he almost didn't play in that series. He Remember, he was hurt, and then he came and he finally played in Game 7, and he cried in the locker room. You know what I would have done if I'd have been the head coach of the 76ers? I'd have put that picture of him crying in front of his locker every day. If it means this much that you're going to cry, why don't you work harder? See, I think he knows. I think he knows he doesn't put the time or effort in. And so I think when the challenge comes to him, he backs down. I mean, there's Al Horford, who we traded a draft pick to get him off the roster, kicking his ass. 37-year-old Al Horford. Right, Because Al Horford knows he's tougher than he is. Al Horford told everybody in the Celtic locker room, these guys are a bunch of pussies. We'll just kick their ass. Once it matches, I mean, there is qualities. And this is what concerns you if you're a Washington football fan. There are qualities that organizations must possess that the owner has to give them. It's one of the reasons you as a Cowboy fan may never win a Super Bowl because Jerry refuses to give the coach the qualities you need. He refuses to allow the coach to be demanding. He refuses to allow the coach to push it to a level, to make changes to the roster that needs to happen. See, there's the disconnect. I'm not saying the coach should be in complete control, but when you want to kiss the players' asses, this is what you're going to get. If you want to make them entitled, this is what you want to get. You're going to have to push the envelope, or you're going to have to find a player like Jalen Hurts or or Tom Brady or somebody who is such a competitor – yeah. that he's going to drive the force of the organization. You know, it's funny. There was a guy, we tried to get him on the show the other day, and he writes for the Daily Philadelphia Voice or something, you know, and he wrote about the Sixers. have no, They have zero leadership on their team. This guy stands in front of the media. He talks about, you know, we need, you know, James and I can't win by ourselves. I got to do better. James got to. It's all bullshit. Yeah. It's all bullshit. You refuse to get in shape. I mean, you refuse to get in shape. You can't even play. The second quarter, I had three texts from people in the NBA saying, your boy's gassed. Of course he was. The, the, if anybody would read an NBA game plan against Philadelphia, it would be run the court, run the court, run the court. Make him work, make him work, make him work, because he's out of shape. Everybody in the league knows it. Nobody in the media wants to talk about it. Let's make him the MVP. I loved, I loved your boy Kendrick, Kendrick Perkins. He's out there, you know, ripping and bead. Meanwhile, he was the instrument driving him to get the MVP. Yep. Like, why did it take this game for people to fucking wake up? Like, why did it take this game? Like, I've been saying it for eight years. Like, all of a sudden, it takes this game? Like, I've seen this storm coming. Like, I'm not sitting there, you know, saying that, you know, I've been calling it a Ponzi scheme forever. How about, you know, you go through, uh, look, you can go through all the drafts, all the mistakes they made. 
It's a joke because when you build your organization, when you build your team based on asset management and not based on culture of mental and physical toughness, you're never going to win. You're never going to win. You mentioned the press conference yesterday, and I I thought it was a disaster. I mean, I tweeted there was a clip that that came out with he said that like someone said, it's not a failure. It's a step to success. Kind of paraphrasing what Giannis said after they got beat by the Miami Heat. I'm like. Dude, you guys haven't won shit. Like, like, what are you talking about that this is a step to success? Like, you guys continue to hit your heads on the second round ceiling here, and there's no sign of it ever getting better. And he kind of had, like, a little smirk on his face when he said it, too, where I'm just like, oh, my God, man. Like, th- like this, is really, this is really, really bad. And the lack of leadership that you talk about, I think, is really, really, like, the biggest point here with the Philadelphia 76ers. I remember back uh, in the game four, that last Sunday, and the, the game that they won, and it was P.J. Tucker at the end of that fourth quarter who was like having to give Embiid a pep talk because it looked like Embiid wanted to tap out. When Boston made that rally in the fourth quarter to get back into that game, Embiid was sure like, he he was like, holy, I mean, I don't know if we can do it. And, like, and it took P.J. Tucker and James Harden having that game that he had in that day to be like, hey, big fella, like get your ass in line. Like We got to go ahead and win this game because our season is pretty much on the line today. Like, like There's been a number of times where Embiid is looking to kind of tap out and just be like, all right, it looks like we're done here and we're not going to win. That's not the MVP, and, and and it is funny that Kendrick Perkins was ripping him because w- w- he doesn't win the MVP without Perkins going on that rant after the uh, the, the the trade deadline. Oh, Perkins, and, and, and Nikola Jokic, force. yeah, yeah, yeah he's <laughs> drive, He can't see it. He only could see it when it's obvious, you know. You know, and everybody fired Doc. You could fire Doc. Doc's Doc's yeah. one of the worst of all time. But Doc does nothing to prepare his team for the playoffs. You know, he does nothing to prepare himself for that. You know, his substitutions going back to when they lost to Atlanta. It, 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 there's nothing there. I mean, there's nothing there. It's just a, you know, Doc is just an ex-player that really, you know, he's got this, he's won f- uh, favor with the media because he's a good quote. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they have no leadership. They have nobody who's going to demand excellence. You know, Eric Spolster had this great quote the other day about, you know, we needed to go through the hard times. We needed to feel the how did he say it we needed to we you know we we had to uh the beauty of the struggles what he called yep. it the, the Sixers don't they, that organization is against any struggle they want to paint a Hollywood movie that's what they want they, they want it to be everything's going to be nice we're all going to sit in the playground and Joel's the MVP it's comical and if you understand how to build a champion, if you truly do, and Maury does it, he's all asset management. Mm-hmm. He's and he's and he can carry the electoral college because he's got the media behind him. But if you understand that, you wonder, you would have seen five years ago that this guy has no chance to ever win a title. Currently, now if he got traded to a team to Miami with Butler and Butler made him do uh, it, and he he's the second dog. Yeah, he doesn't maybe. want maybe. He he would not want to be in that heat culture because because Pat Riley would call his ass out in front of the media too. And I don't think Embiid wants that kind of... He wants the, the, the situation to be where Maury's defending him and he's going after anybody who says anything bad about Joel Embiid because that's kind of what it's been throughout his time in Philadelphia. Uh, not a great time for your Sixers. I'm sorry they got eliminated yesterday. Commanders fans, you got Josh Harris. Look out. Hopefully your organization can get it together. We're going to get to the football on the other side. We're going to take a quick break first, though. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... As a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. 
You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. All right, we've scrubbed the Sixers from our system here. They've been removed from the playoffs. I I mean, we really have it because what I failed to mention, Paul Mm -hmm. Shells has a great quote. He says, if you don't teach them how to bite when they're puppies, you'll never teach them how to bite later. Mm. And that sums up Embiid perfectly. See, you kissed his ass when he got there. Oh, don't play. Don't practice. Just rest your foot. Simmons, don't play. Don't practice. Just rest your foot. Everything's fine. You know, don't, be, don't compete. Take time off. Take time off. Because that's our culture. Our culture is we want to asset manage. We want to lose to get more. We want to teach toughness. And I think it's proven out. So that's true. No, I, I think that's the perfect point that you bring up there as we kind of transition into the NFL. Because people always talk about tanking and all that stuff. And, and then the tanking is, I think it's different from, okay, it's late December, we're a bad team, let's just go ahead and like try to secure a top pick versus let's enter the season like the Sixers are doing. Let's enter the season with the intent to lose games. And that's what they did in Philadelphia. And it breeds a loser mentality and a loser organization. That's why tanking in theory sounds like it's the right thing to do, but in actual practice and application, it creates this situation that they have currently right now well, where there's no the winning people attitude. that are telling you to tank have never have never stood in front of a team. The people that are telling you to lose have never stood in front of your team and tried to create a culture of winning com- competition, mental toughness. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, it's funny. Did you ever hear, did Jordan go to a press conference and complain that BJ Armstrong and, you know, and Steve Kerr weren't good enough? And that's why they lost. Nope. I mean, come on, you know, now, you know, I mean, seriously, the guy has no competitive fiber in his body and he wanted the MVP and, and he, and he proved it yeah, that he it. you can political politicize yourself to get it. You know, did he care about winning? He cared about winning, no, because if they're the third seed, if he cared about winning, he would have dominated. We're going to get to NFL Wintels here real quick, but I want to make this last point about this Embiid Sixers thing. You know the bullshit comment that I saw people talking about on Twitter? like you Because know, like there was a clip about him saying that, hey, James and I, we can't do it by ourselves, whatever. And then people were trying to defend that, saying, well, look at the bigger context of the quote. And I read the bigger context quote where he was kind of building it, it, up to it. Joke. It's it's still a joke. Like, like it's, it's still, it's it's still a, joke. a joke. I was like, joke. I'm like, this I mean, doesn't make it better. The people that defend him on Twitter, <laughs> the people that defend him on Twitter are comical. I mean, I had a guy tell him he's the greatest center of all time. Fuck, it's the greatest center. He couldn't get past the second round. I mean, guy can't compete. You know, go back and watch the Toronto game that they lost in 19. You know, he played. He wasn't healthy. You know, I mean, it's the same shit. He has zero, zero, zero mental toughness. They created it. That's why if you're a Washington fan and your win total, wherever it is, once Josh Mm -hmm. gets his hands in this team and he starts to say, oh, we're asset management, you know, you know, we're not going to teach toughness. Good luck. We're going to manage Sam Howell and, and see if we can do this thing with our QB there. Yeah, and no, I thought it was – I thought that, I was like, this does not make it better, the full quote. And, and one thing that the great ones always do, in times of toughness, in times of adversity, they shoulder all the blame. In times of success, they deflect it and they talk about the collective. And Bede's talking about the collective when they're losing, saying that we all have to get better. Nobody gives a shit about we. Like, you are the face of the franchise. You're the guy that's supposed to be carrying this thing. Like I, I, I thought it was all ridiculous there, but – Let's get on. I'm not even a Sixers fan, but I'm invested in this nonsense. Let's move on here and get to the win totals in the NFL, Michael, because I think the important thing to point out as we talk about the schedule and over the last handful of days, he's heard people talk about strength of schedule, which team has a tough schedule, which team has an easy schedule. Well, it depends on how you measure it, because I think a lot of people, the misconception that they do is that they measure it based off of last year's win percentage. When we know that no league turns over in terms of a parity standpoint more than the NFL. So that can't be the most accurate way to do it. And when you look at it from a win percentage off of last year, you're going to see all the NFC East teams at the top. And that's because they all had really good records a season ago. And duh, they all play each other twice a year this season. Now, when you use win totals, it differs. And I think that's where you see kind of the discrepancy based on judging it on this season's win totals versus last season's win percentage. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think to me the strength of schedule crap is bullshit because you know you're saying that you know you're saying a team that won last year is a playoff team. I, I mean I don't view I don't view Minnesota as a legitimate playoff team. I don't view the Giants as a legitimate playoff team. So you know, and then you're saying the teams are staying the same, which we all know they're not. 
you know, Green Bay's not the same team because they're going to change quarterbacks. So I think it's, look, I think the way you put it out there and if you look at win totals as it relates, like what, Philadelphia, they have one of the hardest schedules in the league. But then when you look at their win total against who their win totals are against, they're 24th in the league. Yep. To me, that's more relevant. Yeah, no, that's 100% more relevant because it's actually projecting the team that they're going to have in 2023. It's not looking back at the team they had in 2022. So the Eagles, 24th. So the average opponent has an eight and a half win total, which is dead on average with the rest of the league there. Dallas tied for 17th, as well as the New York Giants tied for 17th. Now, a team that still has a tough uh, schedule when you judge the win totals and the win percentage is the New England Patriots. They're tied for first, them and the Miami Dolphins. So those AFC East teams on paper, which I think makes sense in a lot of our heads, is that, hey, the AFC teams are going to have the toughest schedules because those are where the best quarterbacks in the league are. So New England, Miami, Buffalo, Kansas City, they're still at the top of the board when you talk about the quote-unquote strength of schedule because every game in the AFC appears it's going to be a gauntlet. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, every AFC team, you know, I mean, in the East is good. You know, assuming if Mac Jones gets to the level that he played as a rookie, mm-hmm. that's that's acceptable, right? I'm not saying it's going to be the same level as as Aaron Rodgers when he's the MVP, but it's acceptable. And it again, it takes three teams. But the NFC, to me, that's where I think you're going to see if you're going to bet a win total in the in this thing. If you want to put your money out there, I, I'm looking more towards the NFC. Because I think that there is such a discrepancy between the good teams and the average teams. You know, like Washington, for example. To me, if Sam Howell's a good player, okay, they could really jump up their win total. Yeah, they'll fly you know, over. Now you're counting on, is, is Rivera good enough? Or Carolina. You know, they're not a bad team. Last year, they were good enough. That if they J.C. Horn stays healthy at the end of the year, their offensive line is better. I could see them jumping up. You know, because of the the NFC, because of that, I I think to me that has a hell of a lot more to do with it than anything. And, you know, look, San Francisco's their their win total dropped from eleven and a half to ten and a half. And yet they play based on win percentage. They play a 28th, 28th percent schedule. I think that over is in place. I mean, the Bears, you know. I mean, the Bears win total. How are they getting to how are the Bears getting to eight wins? How is that even possible? My guy's going to level up. Oh. That, that's, how, that's how that's possible. I'm telling you. you we're, got, we're, you we're, we're, I'm, it's baked I'm into surprised the that you turned down Embiid as a client. I really am. I'm no, surprised well, you did. Well, I, I've seen his movies. I mean, we, we, we've seen his movies in the NBA. And I, I'm a Jokic guy, too. Like that, That's my guy. So I, I was never taking Embiid on as a client. <laughs> well, well, like I'll give you a perfect example. The Saints, right? They mm-hmm. have the 31st easiest schedule based on win totals. They're a good team. They play Tampa, who's no good, twice. They play Atlanta, who's not very good without a quarterback. They play Carolina with a rookie quarterback. I mean, if you're going to bet somebody, New Orleans is a really an attractive team to bet. They're good on defense. They've got a lot of weapons offensively. If Carr comes in and doesn't turn the ball over and he plays with a little bit of toughness with Kamara in the backfield, I mean, they got it with William. I mean, they got a good team, a good mm-hmm. offensive line. I'm shocked their win, people aren't betting their win total more. Well, I think it's because the schedule is baked in and their win total set at nine and a half. And I think the Saints nine and eight feels like kind of their range this season. They feel like a pretty stable team at nine and eight. I'm not sure. I'm not really ready to go and go to war with Derek Carr and Dennis Allen as the QB head coach combination that's going to win double digit games. That's just not something that I would be interested in putting my money on. But you did mention some interesting teams, though. Uh, I know a team that we agree upon. We talked about this in the Lombardi line last week over on VEASAN. The Jacksonville Jaguars, I think there's an assumption being made that they're just going to be this elite caliber team because they made the playoffs last year and then they have a young quarterback. They have to take the next step there. There's a difference in taking the next step from seven wins to 10 wins versus going from 10 wins to 11, 12, 13 wins. Like, I'm a little skeptical on the Jags, Jaguars' optimism that we're hearing all throughout this offseason. Well, I think a lot of it too, Femi, is people don't understand what happens in the offseason. I think we just assume that people are going to build off of it. You know, mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield has this great season, and next year they open up in, in Kansas City after they almost beat Kansas City, right? Yep. And then that next season, it's not the same because what the missing element of this is people spend more time studying you. When you win and you become a problem for teams, 
teams, your opponents spend more time studying you. They spend more off-season time. They try to look out how to break you down. It's like any other business. If your competitors are doing well and they're kicking your butt, you're going to spend more time studying your competitors. You're going to figure out what can we do to gain an advantage. Right? How do we how do we shift this? What do we have to do? And I think ultimately that's the off season. That's the month of May. That's June. Then then you take that information and you put it into our planning for the off season. This whole notion that you know I I, I love when head coaches come in for an interview and they bring this notebook in and they say, well here I've got every practice lined up from now until you know the first day of uh, the regular season. Why? <laughs> like why? Like, why can't we just do it? I, I get the outline. That's great. You're organized. But we don't know what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Like, that schedule, do we have time to practice against Philly? Are we spending time on this? Are we spending time on that? You know, are we spending time on handling Tyreek Hill and, and the, the RPO offense in Miami? What are we doing? Like, to me, that's what, what a head coach has to do. That's why one of the things I hate about Doc you know, it, everything. You know, one thing about sports, it always kind of the the just because it's a different sport doesn't mean it doesn't translate. There's nothing he did to get his team ready for the playoffs. He didn't play a guy. I mean, he played Shake Milton all the you know as the backup playoff time. He's not playing. Like, why would you waste minutes on him if you're not using him? Mm-hmm. Like, people don't understand when you're a head coach, time and equals money. It's a time management job. You know, I want to get your thoughts on some more of these win totals. I know one that I like as we kind of go bounce back and forth here. The Detroit Lions under, and and maybe I'm just getting into the fading, the popular trendy teams because Jacksonville is a trendy team. Detroit, they're going to be on opening night against Kansas City. Clearly, the league is buying into the hype. A lot of people are excited about the hard knock Lions. Under nine and a half, because over at DraftKings, I think you can get it at plus money. I think other shops you can get it at plus money as well. That's one that really intrigues me there. Like Detroit, I think they'll be a good team, but expecting 10, 11 wins, I'm not sure that should be the expectation going into the season, especially with what they've done up front on defense. Outside of Aiden Hutchinson, there's nobody in that front seven that's really scaring any team. So uh, Detroit's one that I've kind of identified as, uh, as a team that maybe is falls short of meeting those uh, those high expectations heading into the season. Let's talk more about some rentals. I want to ask you about the Cleveland Browns because they made a big acquisition at the pass rush department here earlier this week. We'll discuss it here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures market, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code shuffle that's code shuffle for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Player acquisition is a 365-day-a-year job is what Stephen Jones of the Dallas Cowboys says. And we saw the Cleveland Browns, despite the draft being over, free agency's over, they're still at it. Andrew Barry, that general manager of the Cleveland Browns in his front office, went ahead and acquired Zadarius Smith, the Vikings pass rusher, who this offseason, it sounded like he was a little disgruntled in Minnesota, now has gone over to Cleveland where their win total is sitting at 9.5. What do you make of this Browns team now in year two of Deshaun Watson being the quarterback? Well, 50% of the Minnesota Vikings defensive line is now in Cleveland, 
which was the yeah. strength of Minnesota's defense, if they had any strength at all on defense, right? Dalvin Tomlinson and now Desarius Smith, who gives them a comp- another guy to rush out other side of Miles Garrett. You know, they had when Clowney was actually played better at times, he was doing better. But to me, I like Cleveland. I like Cleveland. I can't imagine, and I could be completely wrong on this. I can't imagine Deshaun Watson could play any worse than he played last year. Like, there's just no way. He was off. Right? I mean, there's just no way. You know, I think they'll miss – I do think they'll miss Kareem Mack – I mean, Kareem Hunt uh, as a power back. To me, I always thought he was. He's still a free agent, believe it or not, mm-hmm. out there. Nobody's making a move on him, and he thought he was going to get big money. So, I, I have a hard time thinking Watson's going to be worse. And they can run the ball – they should be able to play with physicality. And I think if with Schwartz running the defense, I think the defense will be much better. I think if Watson takes that step that you're expecting, this can be a really, really dangerous team in an already difficult division there. I think all those teams should be respected. Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, of course. Mike Tomlin's never gone below 500 in his career as the head coach of the Steelers. But when you add Cleveland to that mix and the collection of talent that they have, that's going to be a very, very tough division there. And if Watson continues to kind of get better and get his legs back underneath him, because it felt like he looked like a quarterback who hadn't played in 700 days last year, which, yeah, which was the truth. Pa- yeah. I mean, it's 58% completion, Femi. I mean, he couldn't make a throw. Yeah, it was terrible. You know, and, and it was ugly. I mean, it was really bad. So you got to think that he's going to get better. I mean, at some point, you know, he's going to he's going to get back to the norm. I mean, when they went from, when they went from Brissett, who wasn't playing great, to – to uh to Watson they really killed themselves I mean they mm-hmm. lowered the you know average per everything went way down and I think Stefanski's got to get better too I think Schwartz will help Stefanski become a better head coach mm. on the flip side of that coin what do you make of the team building from the Minnesota Vikings because I think this is an interesting team because Kwesi Adafo Mensa in his second year as the general manager Based on the moves that he's made, it doesn't feel like he's bought into we were a 13-win team last year. It feels like they're kind of resetting the deck in a ways. We know that the rumors of the Dalvin Cook stuff, that they're looking to trade him if anybody would even call. Maybe they end up releasing Dalvin Cook. They trade Zadarius Smith. They let Dalvin Tomlinson go. They cut Adam Thielen. They let him walk. It doesn't feel like the Vikings are kind of buying into the 13-win season they had a year ago, and their their win total at 8.5 suggests that they're probably going to be a big team that regresses. But what do you make of how they've gone about this offseason here and kind of reshuffling the deck after winning the division last year? A lot of this is the cause and effect of Kirk Cousins. I mean, this is from Cousins' contract. I think they have to try to get – they're trying to get their cap in order. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get their cap in some kind of order, and it's and that's what I think his biggest attempt is doing. He's letting older guys go. Tomlinson both throw over thirty, Smith over thirty, Thielen over thirty. He's letting these older guys go that probably are at the end of their rope, that still have some things left, but they don't match the salary. So he's trying to reboot the team on the fly and manage the cap. And he's taken some severe cap hits to do it, but I don't think he has any other choice. You know, will they be better on defense? Jeez, I have a, I mean, they have to be, but you know, it's mm-hmm. going to be a really challenging defense. Brian Flores is going to have his work cut out for him, but they'll be tough. I mean, you know, they will be multiple, but will they have anybody who can really get stops when you need it? I'm not sure about that. Everything that they do is evolved around their offense. I mean, they have to get rid of cook. They need the cap room. So eventually they're just going to let Cook walk out the building. They added Addison as a receiver to help out to help out with Jefferson. They've got to sign him to an extension. They picked up his fifth year. You know, both the offensive and defensive lines haven't been great. But, you know, when they've gone down this Cousins road, who are a lot, you know, isn't mentally tough and doesn't play big in big games, and they've, they've really had nothing to show for it. I think it's time they, they need to kind of spin this around, mm-hmm. and they need to find their other quarterback. I know Cousins says, oh, I want to stay, I, I want to be there. I mean, yeah, if you really want to be here, take less money. <laughs> I'm still thinking of the Cousins throwing short of the sticks on fourth down against the Giants in the playoffs. <laughs> Probably the most inexplicable play of the entire playoffs. It's like, buddy, your season's on the line. What are we? What are we doing here? Um, but I, I kind of like the way that they've gone about this offseason. Like, like I said, like they're not really buying into. Oh my God, we were so close. We're thirteen win team. We're right there. Let's go ahead and double down on this. They're saying no. Let's take a step back. 
let's let's get rid of these older contracts and let's reset the deck here and and i would imagine i mean they were linked to a lot of quarterbacks uh in the draft as maybe a potential destination for hendon hooker or whoever and maybe next year is the year that they kind of go after it and actually get that quarterback of the future as they try to uh, remove Cousins from the equation here because uh, it's a team that I think we talk about hitting their head on the ceiling with the Sixers. I think the Vikings with C- Kirk Cousins at quarterback have hit their head on the ceiling. They've got about as much as you can get out of this whole deal here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, same thing with the Warriors. I mean, to me, there's a lot of franchises because of the salary cap, because of pushing the the chips into the middle of the table, are at a crossroads. The Warriors, what are they going to do? Philadelphia. I mean, you want to pay Harden? You know, he could opt out. You want to pay him $40 million a year? You want to guarantee, get him a $210 million contract based on what you saw? But if you don't, where are you going? How, How are you getting out of this mess? How are you getting out of this mess? You traded a bunch of first-round draft picks, all protected, but you traded a bunch of them. Some are, are, are loosely protected. Minnesota's in a cleanup mode. I see Minnesota in a cleanup mode trying to bridge themselves to the next level, and they're trying to do it with youth, which is the only thing he can do. It's not as severe as, as the Rams, but it's along those lines. I'm glad you brought up the Rams because that was a team that I had circled as a potential win total under bet. Right now, their win total sitting at seven and a half. And I think this team, it can go one of two ways. Maybe they find the fountain of youth with Matthew Stafford. He's able to stay healthy and they're a competitive team in that NFC West. But I think the more likely scenario is that Stafford might be a shot fighter. And this thing kind of gets off the rails there and they end up bottoming out and in the whole asset management business. Maybe try to acquire some picks and, and go from there and start the rebuild fully uh, with maybe a, a new front office. And who knows how long Sean McVay even has. He's already flirted about going to TV and retiring. Yeah, but there's <laughs> no know. TV. There's no more TV. I mean, I don't know where, you know, Brady's going to Fox. Uh, so someone will you make know, room Olsen's for McVay. Gonna, what, what do they do with Olsen? You know, I mean, so are there going to be any TV jobs? Maybe Amazon decides to, 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 to step up. But to me, I was surprised he came back. I, I didn't mm-hmm. think that to me, this is going to be a hard rebuild. I, I really do. I think it's going to be a hard rebuild because it, here's what I, my question to you is, Femi. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, they, they start the season against the Seattle. They got San Francisco. They got to go back to Cincinnati, right? They come, I mean, they have the Colts. They got Philadelphia. They got Pittsburgh. I mean, they they got the Cowboys. I mean, it's not an easy schedule for them. That teams, and if they don't stay healthy, it becomes even more problematic. But let's say they start out slow and they're one and five. (laughs) And you're Aaron Donald. Do you want to play on a one and five team at this point in your career? I don't think, I mean, he flirted with retiring too. Yeah, but I think this is past retirement. I think this is like, do you want to go out like this? Is this how you want to go? Like, I, 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 to me, he's one of their assets. Same thing with mm. Cooper Cup. Now, you know, McVeigh said, hey, these guys are determined. You know, everybody's not taking Everybody thinks we can't do it. Well, you know, to me, I look at your depth chart. It's not that I don't think you could do it. I just, I think your depth chart looks horrible. Okay. Well, I got to ask you the follow-up because you just said, Aaron Donald is one of their assets. And now people are going to start raising their eyebrows and be like, oh my goodness, is the best defensive player of his generation potentially available? And something you've always said, everyone's available. Just depends on the price here. Are you envisioning a scenario to where maybe there's a midseason trade that Donald goes to a contender looking to kind of get over the hump there? I'm envisioning that if the Rams don't play well, if, if they don't play well and they don't start well, I think it could happen. Just like I'm going to tell you, it's May the 15th. Yeah. I'm telling you by July, Embiid will want to be traded. <laughs> I'm just telling you. like these, you, I'm, The part of Al Davis should say this all the time. The secret to any great organization is to anticipate the problem, not react. Yep. The Rams, if I'm in the Rams and I'm less need, I got to anticipate that Aaron may not be fully vested if some of these young players that we have don't come through. And don't don't kid ourselves in thinking that, oh, if we stay healthy, we're going to be fine. If we stay healthy, it's a hard thing to live on. It's a bad plan. It's a hard thing to live on. It's hard to do. So I'm envisioning that if they don't start fast or they're competitive, like at some point, you know, this is a business. Like, okay. By the time we get good, you're going to be too old. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you think that they would ever trade Jalen Ramsey? I mean, I could see that for one. a third round <laughs> pick. No, not for a third round pick. No, <laughs> I mean they traded Allen Robinson and paid ten million dollars. This is how bad they are on the cap. Like they're a deep shit. Mm. And I think Sean's a great coach, 
But at the end of the day, are they going to get out of this in one year? No chance. So why do you think that win total is at seven and a half? Because like, I mean, we all because of Sean, because because yeah. yeah. win totals are predicated on quarterbacks and coaches. Because I think if people think Stafford stays healthy, they'll win at least eight games. Yeah, they have. You can't name you can't name anybody in their secondary. No, I mean. I mean, you can't name anybody. I mean, Raheem Morris has got a tough job ahead of him. I mean, how's he getting pressure once we double? If we double this guy, how's he getting pressure? Then if we get any injuries, and don't tell me you're not going to get injuries. If we get any injuries, we're screwed. Yeah, everyone's getting injuries in the NFL. Like, you're not going to – if the plan going into the season is if we stay healthy, like, that's that's a horrible plan. That's the worst plan of all. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's horrible That's the worst plan, plan of all. Yeah. The only the, the as an executive, you have to assume you're going to get injured, and it can't and it can't bother you. Yeah, it cannot bother you. You just got to move on. You just got to say, okay, we got next guy. You know, if we lose a left tackle, we got You have to have a solution for how if we because there's about five positions that are hard to overcome: quarterback, left tackle, rusher. You know, mm-hmm. those are hard things to kind of manipulate your way through, and they catch up to you. But you got to have an answer for them. And I think the the thing for the Rams is that their guy that they're saying, if we stay healthy, is the quarterback, the most important position on the field. So but even if he's healthy, is he good enough? Yeah. It's, it's a much worse team than it was a couple years ago when he first got there. That's for sure. And that team was really good, and he was good on that team, leading them to a Super Bowl. I want to ask you about uh, a former client of mine, Kyler Murray, on the other side. I mean, the Arizona Cardinals win total, the lowest this season. Jonathan Gannon has talked about the rehab process for Kyler Murray. We'll get to that as well as clean up some other news and notes around the National Football League. This is the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. According to the betting market, the worst team in the NFL this season is going to be the Arizona Cardinals. They have the lowest win total on the board, set at four and a half. They are favored in all of zero games so far this season at our friends at DraftKings who have handicapped all 272 games. Great job by them, by the way, going ahead and doing that 30 minutes after the schedule was released. But the Cardinals are in an interesting spot this season because they have a lot of draft capital after making the trade with the Houston Texans. Multiple first round picks, multiple mid round picks. And head coach Jonathan Gannon had this to say about their quarterback, Kyler Murray, who, of course, is rehabbing the torn ACL, which he suffered in December. He said, quote, Kyler is a long way away, but we don't play for a long time, indicating that Kyler has a lot of time to heal up and get out and ready for the season. Given the fact, though, Michael, that he tore his ACL in December, when would you anticipate Kyler Murray returning? Because as a movement quarterback, as a guy who likes to move around, I feel like you wouldn't want him being back on the field until that knee was 100% healthy. Well, I think if he starts the year off on PUP, right, which is what it will do, physically unable to perform, mm-hmm. then, you know, they've got to make a decision come the first, the, 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 the roster cutdown date to decide whether they want to keep him on PUP, which then I think puts him at another six weeks, yep. or if they want to carry him because he could come back before six weeks. My sense of it is it would be at least six weeks into the season before he could come back. I mean, right now they're carrying five quarterbacks on their team. Mm-hmm. Five. They've got David Blau, Jeff Driscoll, Clayton Toon, who they drafted in the fifth round, and then Colt McCoy. Now, we're talking about Kyler Murray's health, but Colt McCoy can't stay healthy either. Yeah. That's a problem. So, you know, they, they've got a lot of issues. To me, if I were Monty Ossendorf, I, I would tear it down. I mean, I would trade Hopkins. I, I would try to just reestablish the culture. Because here's what's going to happen. You talk about looking into the, this, the future. What happens if you have the worst record in, in football and Caleb Williams is available for you? Are you going to take, are you going to pass on Caleb Williams for mm. Kyler Murray? 
Well, that's the question that's going to be looming over that organization. I mean, Caleb Williams oh, looks yeah. terrific. He looks terrific. Now, let's see how he plays this season. But, I mean, he won the Heisman Trophy last year, so he's off to a pretty damn good start and is the presumable number one overall pick according to the betting markets well, right if, now. If, if, if they were both in a draft, Murray and Williams, Williams would be the higher pick. Yeah, he's a bigger guy. Yeah. There's no, well, there's, I mean, he can see, he can throw. I mean, he's not, you know. To me, th- th- this is there, – there's a lot of things you got to change about the Cardinals. And it starts with their culture. It starts with them, again, doing the Josh Harris thing that he did with Embiid. You know, when you kiss, the be- when you kiss your best play, when you kiss this quarterback's ass like you did, and you make him the, the face of the franchise, and he doesn't garner the respect of the other people by his work habits, his preparation, and all those things, that it, it hurts your culture. It's the same thing. We get, we're in this podcast the same way we started. Everything that's wrong with Philly. Philly is a great organization to study if you're an executive or you're some sports business management. To study this, remove all the bullshit from the media and study what it means, what it takes to build a championship level team. You know, yeah, you need assets. Yes, you need draft picks, but you got to hit on those draft picks, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with the Cardinals. How are we going to rebuild this franchise? We're giving this guy who's the face of our franchise all this money. And yet, you know, we all had to put a clause in this contract to get him to work hard. Oh, but we took it out. So we really didn't mean that. You know, Buda Baker, our best player, is sitting there on the field, and he stands and he stays on the sideline. Like, he doesn't endear himself. Is he not a good teammate? I mean, those are the things that, that you have to get. Because I'm going to tell you this. This is not a secret. There's no championship team ever, ever, that has culture like this. There's none. There is none. You could talk talent all you want. Mm-hmm. You could talk all. Oh, they got a talented team. We've seen it. The Eagles, the one year with all the talent they had, they couldn't come together. The dream team. Talent doesn't. It, it comes together. It has to be put together. If I'm Monty, I'm I'm going to rebuild this team in the in, to me in the right way and and try to trade as many of those older assets I can to play young players. Why do you think that happens? Where organizations get into this mentality of we have to kiss the stars' ass, like. To me, it almost seems like that's like a low self-esteem kind of move from an organization. Like, have some damn pride. You know, like like we talked about it uh, last week on the Lombardi line during one of the breaks here. But the Miami Heat, when they had LeBron James, and LeBron's one of my favorite athletes of all time. I love LeBron James, one of the greatest basketball players ever. But if the Miami Heat and Pat Riley said, hey, we're not going to kiss your ass, LeBron James... Like, what are these other organizations doing with these guys who are not even near that level of player where it's like, oh, my God, well, we have you and you're so talented. And how will we ever replace you? Like, like, like what's like what sparks that from an organization? Well, because we, we can't find talent. So when we get a talented player, we have to make sure we keep our talented player. They, they don't understand that talent alone will never win. That talent has to work hard. Talent has to be the best player on the team. Talent has to work the hardest. Giannis works hard. That, that, now you can get somewhere. They, they miss that. There's a disconnect. Oh, we just need to get talent. You know, Jerry's problem is, is I run the team, so I pick the players. The players work mm-hmm. for me. The coach doesn't have enough, so the coach can't demand from them because Jerry's got them in their corner. I mean, I lived through it with Al Davis. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. The coach can't stand in front of the team and demand. Look, you got, if you're a coach, you've got to have confrontation. The job of a coach is to push players to their limits to make practice harder than the games, to challenge players, to do all the things they have to do. I mean, I mean, Harden was in – I mean, the, the week between the Nets series and the Celtics series, I think Harden was in Las Vegas. Yeah, he was in Atlantic City. I, I mean, he was like all over the map, make, winning – I mean, I already won multi-million dollars, you know? <laughs> I, I, and so, like, where's the pushing of it? Like that's you got to be a, a coach has to be a driving force. If you want the players to like you, then you shouldn't be a coach. Mm. You want the players to respect you. Now, the only way you can do that is through your knowledge, through pushing them, demanding from them. You know, I'm going to make you a better player. That's the mantra. That that that's the coach's creo. I'm going to make you a better player. I'm going to make you I'm going to work you so that you're a better player. I mean, the great story about Josh Richardson you know, when he was just kind of hanging out, he wanted to go to the G League. And, and Spolster is like, no, we're not sending you to the G League. We want you in the gym. So Spolster walks in the gym one day, and he sees him in there, and he says, are you working on your shot? He said, okay, I want you to, make, I want you to pick seven spots in the, behind the three-point line, you know, and I want, you to hit, I want you to make 73s. 
Guy, so he goes out there, takes it. I think the first time he makes 54 threes. Spolster says, okay, you're running. Run. The sprints, right? Mm. The guy looks at him like he's crazy. Sprint. Next time. Come back again. Next, you know, next repeat the pen. I think he gets the 60. Then he gets the 62. But every time in between he doesn't hit it, he's sprinting. Like mm. he's pushing him. He's pushing him. He's pushing him. And then eventually he gets there. And then all of a sudden the kid realizes, oh, this is how you have to work to be great. This is how I have to work. You know? Yeah. And, and that's where teams miss it. You know, we get so caught up. And I, I, trust me, in my career, I didn't start off this. I was a talent whore. Oh, that guy's so good. We could coach him. We used to make, oh, chemistry. Oh, who cares? You know, that's for labs. No, it, it matters. Once you've been in the league enough, you know it matters. You know, and, and for people that have never been in a locker room, that they see it as something that it's not. You got to stand in front of that player. You got to demand from them. You know, and then they make excuses. Like everybody makes excuses for the beat. Nobody holds them accountable. So why shouldn't he make excuses for himself? It's the same thing with Kyler Murray. No, I, I think that's a really good lesson in terms of team building because that, that's what we overlook. And, and what do you, you talk about the, the the Marcus Aurelius quote or whatever the the. The, the, the secret to victory is it lies in the organization of the non-obvious. Like, like that's the non-obvious right there. It's like, hey, like the actual building of chemistry and accountability and being able to, whether you're the best player or the worst player, we can demand the same expectations from all of you guys, and that's how you're going to build something that's sustainable. Right. So when it gets hard, I mean, when it got hard, they folded like a cheap tent, Philadelphia. Yeah. Like a fucking cheap tent in the second quarter. They had a 10-point lead. It's going good. If we're shooting a nice Hollywood movie, we'll play. But once it gets hard, we don't want nothing to do with hard. We don't want nothing to do with hard. I mean, you, you sit there and you watch them and you see there's no, there's no alignment. Because the leader, the guy that they, they – think about this, Femi. They won three games against Boston. One of them, they didn't even have the MVP on the court. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, he was responsible for two wins. Was he? Well, he was hurt. He has a bad knee. He's always fucking hurt. Why? Because he's always on the ground and he's always out of shape. Like, he's always at, like, don't tell me this is the best. You Like, he's going to look back on his career and say, you know, I just never gave it at all. It's funny because Daryl Dawkins, when he first got here, this is years ago. Many people forget. Mm -hmm. Daryl was this unbelievably physical specimen. He's, you know, and everybody complained about how soft he was. He would never go to the rim and be physical. Nobody complains about, you know, about Embiid. He's got fucking Marcus Smart guarding him. I mean, just think about that logic. That's they put terrible. Marcus Smart on him. And if you would have said, well, we can Marcus Smart can't guard him. Marcus Smart probably said, no, I'm tougher than him. I'll just keep battling him. I'll wear him down. I'll make him work hard. It isn't that he scored a point against Marcus Smart. People miss that. They, Marcus Smart makes him work hard. So once he works hard, he's tired. Yeah. And once he's tired, we own him. Yeah. It's the fact that that's even a lot like to let Mark. I, I think back to the the centers from the past. I'm like Shaq would put Marcus Smart in a freaking locker. He would that, stuff well, first of all, they wouldn't the even locker. put they wouldn't put Marcus Smart on Shaq because they know it wouldn't do no good. Because Shaq was in you know when Shaq was going, he was in shape. He was in shape. Yeah. Like like all those guys on the NBA on the TNT, they laugh at they laugh at Barkley. I mean the Barkley, all those guys. They they know who Embiid is. Yeah. You don't think Shaq knows who Embiid is? You don't think Shaq laughs at these idiots on Twitter that says Embiid's the greatest player of all time oh, at no. center? He la Shaq would fucking kick his ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, he would stuff him in the locker. <laughs> I, 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 like, somebody was telling now, me. Now, is he the greatest talent? Is he the greatest talent? Great. Hell you of call a him the greatest talent. Hell you of a could, talent. You call him, I, I'm not going to argue that. But, uh, you know, all I know is great players are in great shape. Yeah, and, and Shaq, in his day, he would get up and down the court like he was a damn greyhound. Like, he was, like, if, if you're not familiar with Shaquille O'Neal, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are since they, they listen to the podcast here, but if we have any younger audience that, that is out there listening and didn't watch Shaq in his prime, my God, that is, like, one of the most ridiculous players that you've ever seen there. And the fact that you can put Marcus Martin and Joel Embiid and make them work, that's just, it seems ridiculous. But that's, that's the reality. That's the reality of the situation. Uh, before we get out of here, Michael, I want to spend a few minutes here on the rookie mini camps that we had going on this past weekend. There's a YouTube video up there on the compilation of all the rookie mini camps. It's about 30 minutes, man. People are excited for the NFL, man. It makes it a lot of fun for us doing this podcast. 
And I think for the fans at home, because we all think, oh, rookie minicamps are implementing the playbook, they're doing this, they're making evaluations. What exactly goes on there? And what is the purpose of rookie minicamp? What do teams get out of it? Well, first of all, the purpose of rookie minicamp is to fucking remind the players that what it's going to take to play in the NFL. And most of the rookies are completely out of shape. Mm. Most of them can't get through the practice. You know, most of them have been have been get have been drinking the Kool Aid. You know, you're the greatest. You're the greatest. Go here. Go there. Go everywhere. Right? Like nobody comes in in great shape. Like it's going to take six weeks to get them in shape. So, and it's going to take six weeks to educate them on what it takes. Part of rookie camp is de recruiting the players, putting them back in and saying, "Okay, fellas, you're now a professional athlete. Like mm-hmm. this shit. This is hard." Every practice is hard. Every play is hard. So, you know, all this guy's doing, making one-handed catch and doing all that, that's great for Twitter. But in terms of building your team, this when you bring the rookies in, you've got to have a plan on educating them, A, on conditioning, strength, get them in the weight room, make them understand what it takes to work. You're a professional athlete. You get here early. You stay late. Your conditioning is most important. I mean, that's all the things is, you know, all the hype train about a guy making a catch. We haven't played any games. And there's not an, and if you just have a rookie minicap, there's not enough guys out there to even have a team activity. And everything's so basic. The game's moving so slow. It's really hard to evaluate. Can you evaluate? Like, because I'm always fascinated by this. Like, like, when do you know if you've hit on a draft pick? Like, is it when the game starts? Or can you tell right away at a rookie minicamp if a guy's like, oh, my God, we might have missed on that. Or, oh, my God, wow, we got a steal in the fourth down. This guy can really play. Like, is, Does any of that go on at rookie minicamp? I think you, you kind of have a sense of you want to be able to say the, the guy's the guy we thought he was athletically. That's the only thing mm. you can determine. Okay. And then you've got to be able to say, look, he's out of shape. But if we get him in shape, he can be really good. Because most people that are in the league know these rookies aren't in shape. They're not in shape. They're not in the shape they need to be in to be able to play. So the first thing you want to do is say, okay, we got to get them in shape. we got to get them six weeks into the training program. we got to spend time getting them to where we can correctly evaluate them. But once you see them, you know, you're, you're really kind of evaluate. Did we hit on this guy's athletically? Does he have the rights? Is the speed, do we hit that right? Is, does he play with his pads? Now, they're not pads on, but with his cleats on, does he play with the same speed? And then really what the most important thing you learn about rookies is how serious are they? Mm. How important is this to you? Does this really mean something to you? Are you willing to push all your chips to the middle of the table, go all in? How bad do you want this? Yeah. Right. It goes back to that story about Jerry Seinfeld and about the Glenn Miller Orchestra, you know, where they land in the in the cornfield and the guys grab their interest and they slush through the snow and they peer into this window and they see these people living this incredibly normal life and having supper and, you know, in a cold, a nice fireplace. And one guy looks at the other guy and say, how do people live like that? Well, that's the mentality you need to be a pro athlete. You have to block everything else out. You got to go all in. Like, you don't want a normal. You want to have the unnormal life. You want to be a, somebody who's a gym rat. That's what you're looking for. Because mm. I think that's a really key point to bring up because I think for a lot of guys, maybe their goal was just to make it to the NFL. Some of them, their goal was yeah. to get to a second contract. Some a goal to be a Pro Bowl or some to get to the Hall of Fame. A lot of guys, they have different goals just depending on what the, the makeup of the person is. Not saying that you're a bad person if your goal is to make it to the NFL, but you might not have that same drive as somebody who's like, I want to wear a gold jacket after 20 years or so. Yeah. You know? I, or, or, or simply this, I just want to be the best version of me. Yeah. Right? And that's Embiid's not even the best version of himself. Like, they say when he was at Kansas, he was a different kid. Like, the way he is now, they don't recognize him. And part of that is Josh Harris. And part of that is Hanky. You know, a part of that is not pushing them, not making him have to work. And so now he's entitled. So now he doesn't bite. He's that, you know, he doesn't have any bite to him. And you can't make him bite. You know, you can't make him. He's taking the path of least resistance. Once you take the path of least resistance, you get comfortable. Comfort is the killer for rookies. Don't get comfortable. You got to do this every day. Remember, the reason the Navy SEALs don't graduate all 175 candidates is because not all 175 can handle volume. Handling volume is what kills rookies. Can you do this every day? Mm. Not when you do it on a clip on Twitter. Yeah. And I think for a lot of the rookies, why they're out of shape is they've all been training for combine, pro days. 
all that. But stuff. then they stopped. Like, I mean, once yeah. they got done their once they got done their pro day, they stopped. They said, "Okay, I don't need to do it. I'm ready for the draft. I'm great." Everybody tells me I'm great. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't even know how far away you are from great. <laughs> It is interesting. I mean, we'll see which rookies pop. I mean, we're already seeing the clips from Bryce Young. Jonathan Taylor says that Anthony Richardson, quote, it's about to get scary. C.J. Stroud is there in Houston. So everyone sounds pretty good right now. So hopefully they all end up becoming good because if they're all good, that makes the league better. And and the league being better is what we all want. But we all know that's not. I I hope they all are great. But (laughs) what I really hope they all do is give themselves a chance to be great. And it takes work. 100%. Well, That does it for this edition of the podcast. Michael, we will talk on Thursday. Thank you to everyone involved. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos per usual. All the listeners and the viewers on the YouTube stream. If you're on the YouTube stream, make sure to leave a comment. I know sometimes we don't give enough uh, love to our YouTube audience there, but we see you guys. We love that you guys add to the YouTube feed and all that stuff. That's always a plus for us here. And obviously, if you're on the podcast stream, make sure you're subscribing, you're rating, you're reviewing. We appreciate all the support here as we're now throughout this offseason. Mini camp is just about a month away or so. It's going to start getting real. We're going to start getting OTAs are on the horizon. This is when the fun starts to begin here. So make sure you have fun with us along this offseason. Michael, I will talk to you on Thursday, and uh, I'll see you then, buddy. All right, buddy. Talk to you.